Season three, y'all. We're back. So, y'all, it's been a quite a, a, a long time since we've been with you all. Um, 2022, 2021 is behind us. I think the last episode we did was, uh, I don't know, like January of last year. But uh, if you're just hearing us here, we're actually, um, we're, we would encourage you to hop on and watch us on video if you can. I know sometimes I listen to podcasts and I just want the audio because I'm running around doing stuff. But we are going to try to um, have like actual visuals for you guys this year. We're, we're, we're making a big here in season three. You know, we're doing big, <laughs> we we're doing big things from the basement here Next in uh, Lynchburg, Virginia. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, so, yeah. you know, w- w- you can you can go on YouTube. I don't know how long we're going to make it in uh, season three because I feel like we, we, we might have to go hard in the paint this year and i think we might only make it a couple episodes in before we get we'll booted see. off we'll of youtube see. so if yeah. you, if we get booted off of youtube we're planning on it so we're going to be on rumble and so you can find us on rumble i just started that channel uh, i think it's freemind fm or something on there but yeah go to freemind podcast or freemind podcast on rumble or youtube we should be there uh we'll see how long but anyways if you can't do that we're still on the audio as well and we'll try to do the best job we can to kind of let you know what we're showing if we're putting stuff up on the screen and all that but anyways uh man we're so glad to be back sorry for the the long departure there's a long story behind that, and we'll probably share that throughout the course parts, of the season yeah. in part, you know. Yeah, that's good. Um, but I was thinking back, like, okay, what do we, what do we come out of the gate with on this year? So much has happened. Um, so much is happening. Um, and I thought, you know, it might be helpful to kind of take you guys on, on a little bit of the journey that we've been on. So I was, uh, I was thinking about this show we used to watch uh, called Doc Martin. You guys, you guys have probably never watched this show. I, I don't even know how we found out about this show. Some British. I think a friend recommended friend it. Friend recommended it. We love and British so, shows. So. Yeah. What's the premise? It's pre- a so comedy. The, it's a. Yes. How do you describe it? It's a. British humor. British so humor. Yeah. Probably most of you won't like it. No, Story centers around a doctor <laughs> who's new in this small town and. He's very much, um, he's a good doctor. He wants to, he was like one of the leading surgeons right in London and he developed, I forget the the term for like blood phobia or something. Like whenever he saw (laughs) blood, he would pass out. So he'd have to, but he was literally went from being the best surgeon, like one of the best surgeons in the UK to being at this small town where all these crazy things and he hates it. And he's like, man, he's been basically condemned to serve in this capacity. So anyways, fast forward a few seasons and, um, he was going to lose even that, like his, the blood phobia had gotten so great that he was about to lose it. So he, his license, he's going to lose his license license and be completely done. I think it's been a while since we've seen it, something like that. So they encourage him to go see this psychologist lady or psychiatrist yeah. and she go he goes and he's kicking and screaming the entire time because he has a low view of anything like that he's just real sort of uh, probably an atheist real materialistic doesn't have a high view of the soft sciences okay. as he would call them but he shows up he goes through it she's young and that's a strike in his mind against you know her is i guess her counseling so you could tell he hates it but for some reason he actually starts making progress right 
And so I don't know if you remember, but like, yeah, he, I think he got to the point where he could even look at the blood and be okay for a little bit. And not freak out. Okay. And not freak out. So a little bit beyond that, he go for some reason, he happens to walk by, I think, and sees that they're putting on this town play or this like little skit or something like that. And I think she's in the skit and he sees her acting. And for some reason, it, he completely loses all his confidence in her. I guess she was like a bad actress and she just looked like silly up there. Just and all the confidence he had gained in her as this serious counselor that had helped him was gone. He could never look at it the same. He quits counseling. The blood phobia comes back and it was a, it was a bad situation. So, um, you know, why do I tell the story about Doc Martin? Doc because Martin. <laughs> yeah, for, how is this? Yeah. Related? So for many of us, you know, the past two or three years, I feel like oh. a, a lot of the people we looked up to in the evangelical world were like that counselor. Dave. <laughs> so this is how we come up. And so okay, like, okay. here's what I mean by that. Okay. It, to use another analogy, like, you know, imagine you had like this general, mm. you really looked up to and you're like, man, I'll go anywhere and fight with this guy. He, he's just, he's the man. Like he just, he, he, he talks a big game, but he's tough and he's, he's, it, he's yeah. a great leader and you get out on the field of battle and he literally sc screams and runs backwards and leaves his troop mm. there to fight for themselves. Yikes. That's what it felt like. And sure. I'm not saying that's true of, of every leader that I don't mean to like be overly certainly uh, not generalizing here, yeah. but I, but I wonder how many people felt like that. Cause it felt like that at times for me, like, like a lot of the people we had looked to in the past to be, to be the leaders, to lead us in mm. these cultural moments when it came down to it, we looked around, we're like, where are these guys? Or in some cases, they would walk us into the traps unknowingly. Yikes. And it's like, okay, by the fifth time, you're like, I don't know that I can trust this person's discernment anymore. They keep, every time there's a, a side to be picked, they pick the wrong side. That's interesting. Do you think it's because all of the events in the past year and a half, two years has forced people to kind of evolve in ways that you've never seen, you think they were just under pressure, became something else. I don't think they mean to deceive. Or what? Are, what are your thoughts on that? I guess it depends on who you're speaking of, right? Who <laughs> in general, you know, who you're talking about. I just think it's just been a year of such pressure that people have been forced to go down a lane or pick a side that they've probably never even processed or thought yeah. about. And I think it's a good reminder too that. Um, even even though we have awesome, awesome leaders and people who are just kind of leading charges, pastors, um, teachers, in, in all professions, at the end of the day, our faith has to be in Christ. Yeah. It has to be. I mean, I think I've been reminded of that time and time again. I think humans mean well, but at the end of the day, we're mere humans. Yeah. You know, and yeah, faith and I, has to be in something bigger. It has to transcend. Otherwise, I mean, we would have all died <laughs> these right. past two years. I will give you that. It's It's been unique yeah. um, times. On so many For sure. So many like, levels. You know, who knew that, uh, you know, we were going to be basically the Great Reset and Klaus oh, Schwab would be uh, yeah. running a global uh, pandemic and trying to shut the world down and that, you know, they would unleash all this stuff and then, and we would have, you know, voting fraud and all this kind of stuff. And, you know, who, who knew that that was going to happen? And so I, I'll give you that. Like, I don't oh. think, 
I, I won't hold anybody under condemnation for not always no. responding rightly. No, no, no. Because, uh, yeah, I, I just think it's, you know, a good daddy allows us to go through um, eye-opening experiences and doesn't want us deceived. And so if we're walking in something and we have confidence in it and it's not where it should be placed, yeah, then it's good to, for it to be revealed. I'd rather know sooner than later than uh, that's something I'm trusting in. Yeah. <laughs> I shouldn't be trusting yeah, in. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Or have so, confidence in, you know, I guess. Yeah, yeah and, and, and I get where you're coming from. Yeah. And I'm with and you. And I get where you're coming from. I totally <laughs> get it. It's been quite a season. But for many a, yeah. of us, we're feeling like, man, oh, gosh, like yeah. we can never go back. Like that, And that's the that's the point. Like, you know, I'm thinking of, I have a number of people in mind. I, I don't, you know, I don't need yeah. to name names in this, you know, particular session. But many of the people who consistently chose the wrong side of whatever issue we were facing in the culture wars and the political wars, whatever it might be. I don't know many, maybe not any that have publicly repented and walked it back. They have continued down that road. Now I'm probably wrong. There's probably a couple people out there you can find, but many of them that I do know of, they've kind of went further and further. They've doubled down, tripled down, quadrupled down. And so what is interesting is you can't always tell what the motivation is. Mm. Sometimes you, you're just like, man, maybe it's just lack of discernment. You know, I think many evangelicals were caught flat footed because we don't have a background of really understanding the Old Testament. In many cases, mm. we don't understand biblical law. And so when the social justice movement came in, we didn't have really a robust theology of biblical justice. So we were just kind of sitting ducks for it. Oh, gosh. Yeah. You're right. I think um, I think it's been an exposing of what we've been building all these years, yeah. individually, collectively. I think in in communities. I think this pressure, this unveiling of um, the pandemic, pandemic, <laughs> Peter pandemic, however you call it, um, has really revealed mm. to us um, what we've been building. Because yeah. I've never seen so much fear. Yeah. Even in the face of um, scripture, in the face mm. of professing Christ, in the face of um, knowing what you believe, it's almost like the fear takes the front seat yeah. and everything in faith takes a back seat. And that's something I think it's a good confrontation at the end of the day. What are you trusting in? What is your faith in? What is your confidence in at the end of the day? And yeah. I think it's good times to reflect and really decide the answer to that question. Yeah. And I think what you just pointed out there was, was in the right direction because what, what you said has revealed a lot. I think oh, in gosh. some cases it's like what, when you say, what have we been building on? It became yeah. apparent that in, in many cases we have been building off like really a, a just a soft foundation Jesus word of like, you know, when build a house on the sand, it's going to, and, and we're just seeing that we've seen that sh the everything that can enough blue. <laughs> The shaken, storms came. Yes. Has been shaken. That's and it. it's like, you know, you're looking for those, you know, those oak trees in that moment. And there, there are some in God's providence and in his grace. I yeah. think he, he raised many voices up in this season to be that and yeah. to look to. It's just, it was weird to think that many of the, the 
what we thought was oaks turned out not to be, or, or maybe it had a bad foundation. I know I'm going hard in the paint. And maybe they evolved in their thinking. Maybe, some I of don't them know, did. making great. No, and, some, no them, yeah. some, some of them, I think the circumstances pushed them in a certain direction. Others, I think it was an unveiling. It was a, sure. like a, a revelation of, oh, I didn't know this person. They, they, they had been walking down that road for many years, but in ways that were not easily seen. Because I think, too, I've seen um, a lot of instances where it's easier to go down one path and maintain all that you have yeah. or go down this path this path yeah. and lose a lot yeah the, the temptation of compromise yeah right? the temptation right. of compromise was for sure so real and so so, so you have possible motivations right and sure. some you have like you have you know they want to be people certain people want to be accepted by the culture you have people that um didn't want to cut off their cash like at the end of the day you know they make a lot of money doing what they do if i start saying these kinds of things i'm going to lose that you have certain people that they've actually been on that train for a while mm-hmm. but it just wasn't apparent sure. and I'm, I'm thinking there of a tim keller like okay. i think he's sincere and authentic like yeah. he i don't think he shifted into the social justice movement or the third way okay. idea that kind of pulled or in many cases pulled evangelicalism leftward. But looking back now and in, in, on his older writings, I'm like, oh, that was always there. Mm-hmm. Like, again, I think he's sincere. I'm not maligning his motivations. I just think he's sincerely wrong in the case of biblical justice. Yeah. Um, we have other episodes on that. We'll cover that more this year. But then you have other people that um, I think were just deceived. They mm-hmm. just didn't have the background. And, and, when we tell the story, like we, we got to share it, um, this year at the school, we're at Liberty, by the way, now, in case you didn't know, Nerva's there teaching Shout out to the school of music, Liberty school yep. of music. She's teaching Hell voice yeah. and yeah. full-time a, student assistant and everything. professor in the school of music. Yep. And I love it. It's so awesome. She loves it. So, and I'm a, uh, LU shepherd there with an, with a bunch of other amazing people. So, but anyways, we got to share about, uh, teach on critical race theory together yeah. this year in, in one of her classes. And the kind of the title that came to mind was, um, my journey or our journey journey from slightly woke to awakened. And I understand, like I went through that phase initially where it caught me, like I was starting down that road. You know, we were listening to the Cornell West stuff, reading the Ta-Nehisi Coates and, you know, fighting the power and uh, doing all this stuff until I realized um, the, the ideology and the the maneuvers Mm. that were going on in that mindset that were actually taking some real data, making up a lot of data um, and using that to to actually foist an unbiblical ideology. So anyways, I get that and yeah. being deceived by that for a while, you know, but the problem is when you, when you continue down that road and people warn you and they show you the case and you continue, yeah. it's like you further in your, um, your destruction of, and you're further blinded by that. Yeah. And it just has a whole capacity with it. I think of like a, a gin hat maker in that situation. Once you, you grab onto that, particular theory it just takes it it does the rest of the work by itself and so you have all those different motivations now we can sit here and try to break down people's motivations all day and it's going to be next to impossible probably from where we sit to do that so for me I thought you know one of the reasons that I took so long and that we took so long to come back to this was you remember that scene in uh, Lord of the Rings when I can't remember exactly how it goes it's been a while but he uh, Gandalf finds out that Bilbo left the ring for Frodo he's like keep it secret keep it safe yeah yeah and he goes at one point early on to whatever their library was 
and he was research, yeah. yeah he was like i gotta i gotta look back i gotta find these scrolls and i gotta see what I, in order to interpret this present moment mm. i've got to look back and you know that's sort of what i spent the last year even doing even more so than we were doing in the past was mm-hmm. like okay, there's all these potential motivations, but one of the main motivations that I saw, not even with the the kind of the big leaders with the big platforms, but even kind of like the man in the pew, there was this this thing like, there's an uneasiness about getting involved in the culture wars. Mm. There's an uneasiness about getting involved in politics. Yeah. And through our kind of awakening process, I was there too, you know, maybe four or five years ago, same spot. But as I begin to study, you know, a little bit more, I would say from a biblical perspective, worldview application to those mm-hmm. elements, I began to see, no, there is a place mm-hmm. for the Christian to be involved in these things. And there is often a confrontational side to um, not only evangelism, but also just um, teaching, discipling the nations and teaching them to obey all that Christ commanded. Mm-hmm. That is going to put you in conflict with the powers that be, including the Caesars, you know. And so I, I, I said, okay, I can't always discern these motivations of individuals, but what I can do is understand the theology Ooh, that's, good. that's driving many good Christians to this place where they feel like they can't be involved or they ought not be involved or, they're, yeah. or, or maybe they're just uncomfortable and feel like it's unchristian to get involved in these kinds of things because it's not unifying, it's not loving, quote mm. unquote, you know? Yeah. And so that really has been the past year. I think it, it really is summarized well in this guy, I think his name is uh, Jared Longshore from Canon Press. Okay. If you're not, so... It, I think one of those voices that God, they've been doing this for years, but God has raised up in this time we're in to, to help guide the church to some of those truths that we might be missing. Uh, a guy named Douglas Wilson out of my, Moscow, Idaho, um, has been really helpful for me, but he's got a bunch of guys around there that are involved. I think cross politic is, you know, might be somewhat loosely affiliated with them. There's a guy that I like to listen to named Eddie Robles is with a, uh, fight feast laugh, uh, something like that network. Um, but anyways, um, Jared, I've seen his videos popping up under Canon press, which is that church's, um, what they do all their media under. And I feel like he really captured the essence of the kind of theology that most of us in American Christianity, maybe Western Christianity in the past, I don't know, 150 years or so have been weaned or or brought up on without even knowing it. And, And this is the source I think that makes us not really know how to respond. It's one of the theological sources. So in addition to the other motivations, um, if you have a theology that tells you not to get involved or that gets you involved in the wrong way, then that's going to make it that much harder to get the church to do what I think we should do. Right. And don't you feel like where the church is silent, um, culture is (laughs) standing and waiting as of late to really speak into those areas where there are questions or where um, there's been a void, but then a push from the culture wars to say, okay, this is the deal. And then it creeps into the church. Okay. This is what culture is saying. And so the church is sort of taking it on, so to speak as like like, a, yeah, like a reactionary. Yeah. Like creation or justice and all of those big words, um, marriage, family, defining marriage, defining the family, defining, um, 
politics, government, yeah. family, medicine, all of that. And so I think instead of leading, just being kind of silent and taking a back seat and letting everyone kind of fend for themselves. Of course, I'm not broad brushing and speaking of all churches, but I, I, I long to go to a service where um, not only am I learning more about Christ and how to be in intimacy with the Father, but what what my, what does theology have to say about all areas of life yeah. so that I can take that back into my sphere of influence yeah. and make a difference culturally. Exactly. Yeah. yeah, and that's one of the, I think, one of the missing elements, and there's a reason why, and uh, Jared here is going to give us, okay. I think it's only like a 10-minute video, so we're just going to play pieces of it here and um, just make some comments here and there, okay. so here we go. So you don't need to have a PhD to see that we are in a fluid situation. It's getting pretty wet out there. Amid the waves, many Christians are considering which way to swim. As Bob Dylan observed, the times, they are a-changing. And change can really throw people. What just happened? And what are we to do now? What just happened? You might say that paganism bought a house. She has been with us for a while, of course. She's been making deposits in her savings account. But now she has established herself in the community. She's purchased land and owns a structure that all the townsfolk can see. Many eyes are not pleased by the new aesthetic in the community. Several people around town have no palate for the company that she keeps, her festivities, nor her yard signs, which range from Black Lives Matter on one side of the lawn to a rainbow flag on the other, with a mask up to love your neighbor somewhere up by the front door. Do I love that <laughs> that picture because yeah. that, that is the element, house. right? Bought land, that's good. The okay. paganism bought a house to become an eyesore, and here's here's what it consists of: these elements. And mm. there's a reason why, you know, we we talked about this already a lot last, you know, many podcasts ago. But remember, we were in Seattle and we were at the coffee shop, and the the sign there was it was a fist, you know, it was a BLM fist, okay. but it was covered in the rainbow. And Ooh. you know, you always see those two together. Yeah. Why is that? And, and why does it typically go mm. along with you know, mask up, social distance, love your neighbor, that kind of thing? Well, they're all those <clears throat> root together in, in a clear worldview that's put together in this kind of propaganda package. Okay. And it's meant to push people towards statism. And we'll talk more about what that means um, in further episodes. But I think he he hits the nail on the head there with understanding this is the. <clears throat> pagan confrontation to Ooh, the biblical worldview okay. that's most present in our really our culture but across the world right now it's a mm -hmm. worldwide phenomenon and so I, I i just love that picture how you and it's good because everybody that. senses it and feels it yeah and is experiencing it yeah. whether they're in church or not um it's definitely hitting the education system for yeah. sure it's flooded yeah that arena okay and once you know where those ideas are coming from like, you know, with with the critical theory, with, you know, coming from the Frankfurt School and coming from, you know, Marcuse and all these guys back to Marx. And you'll, you'll understand there's an ideological connection between okay. those and statism and how it plays in with the response Ooh, to COVID-19. Okay. And it all oh, is connected man. and it all has a worldview behind it. And it's all trying to get us to do something with it. And so that really is helpful to understand. Okay. Play on here. will always be adorned. Titus chapter 2 verse 10. It's not whether you will have works of faith, but which faith will manifest itself through works. So that's an Ooh. important statement. Go. It's not whether you will have works of faith, but it's which, which works, what? which faith will manifest through works. Man. 
And so what he's pointing out here, and this is where I feel like a lot of the reformed guys are so helpful because they think worldviewishly. Um, y- y- laws never hang in thin air. They come from moral frameworks and your moral Jeez. framework will be okay. rooted in your, um, it, it ought to be rooted in what you think the nature of reality is mm. in its broadest sense. So if you think, for instance, if you're a consistent physicalist, then there really is no objective good and evil. Um, but then you, you flow into what he's calling this paganism. There's a very much a good and evil. Um, but the evil is, it, it just happens to be the canani- canonical oppressors, right? The yeah. white Christian male, cisgender, mm-hmm. heterosexual. That That's the evil in the Western civilizations, the evil system. We have to topple that. And so that definitely has a framework. Yeah. Um, and he's saying the the fruits of what we're seeing at a sociological level are the outworking of that faith. Shoot. You remove God, you've placed another God. Yes. And okay. so this idea of the naked public square, as Os Guinness calls it sometimes, that you can have this secular space that um, religion gets put to the side and that we can all have this knowledge of right and wrong and laws that are that make sense yeah, and wise is just a myth. Man. Okay, yeah. Um, Ooh, because whatever what really is at bottom, whatever you really have faith in about that the, will rise and that will face. rise okay. and create the fruit. So the, the works will flow from that inevitably. Jeez. And so okay. what we're seeing in our culture right now is this outworking of the new uh, neo paganism in essence. It's a in many cases it's um it's kind of the it's it's the gunger walk right mm-hmm. and so you start with you know christianity like western civilization did you move from there to kind of this atheistic naturalism but then you see well there's nothing there that's just nihilism there's nothingness and you can't really live off that consistently so you either just stay with that and ignore it you do your best to kind of have this split brain or you typically from there walk into this kind of postmodernism where you just, there are no objective truths. I'm just going to like, you know, I have my own narrative. You have your own narrative. And typically from there you go to like this, this view of, um, neo-paganism, which is like kind of almost you invest creation itself with these, um, features of deity, and so like, I'm God, you are God, the waste bath is kind of, kind of a newer B- Buddhism. And it's, it's interesting that you'll watch a lot of these guys like him walk through that cycle. And that's sort of the cycle. One of the cycles that you could describe Western civilization as walking through. I think it's interesting too. Cause as you go through that, I, I can see and look back over the years, how atheism came to the forefront, took it. Now it's taking a yeah. backseat. Science has come to the fore, had come to the fore, and now it's right. taking a back. No one is believing the science anymore. So these right. were big meta narratives. And now. Yeah. yeah so, so yeah. maybe 15 years ago you had the Richard Dawkins yeah. and Christopher Hitchens were the best selling books. You would even see it on the bill, billboards Everywhere. driving yeah. around. Okay. And it was a real physicalist like science. And, and now it's like, you know, you have Ibram X. Kendi mm-hmm. and, uh, the white fragility lady, Robin D'Angelo, you know, those are the biggest selling yeah. books. That's, that's more yeah. coming out of a postmodern framework. Uh, okay. And then, but then it's weird combo cause they're still trying to believe the science, right? Believe. That's science. That, and that's a, that's a whole nother episode right there. But there's all these competing worldviews kind of floating around in a mishmash, but I think he's hit one of the big ones, which okay. is the, this kind of neo-paganism that expresses itself okay. in this kind of weird, hybrid of postmodernism and maybe um, pantheism or panentheism, 
hybrid that a lot of people were seeing kind of walk into. So it's good to be aware of how these things connect and where they're rooted in worldviewishly because again, you can't create a society, I, th- I would say, out of thin air. Like you have to have, there's always going to be a God that, that the society grounds its beliefs in. Oh, okay. It used to be, I would say, the Christian God. Now it's, you know, we've cut that off. So what are you left with? Well, right now in this moment, we're left with power structures and trying to do some kind of radical egalitarian wash yeah. that's rooted in Marx's ideas because he was, you know, an atheist. Also, some people say, you know, a Satanist in some senses. There's, you know, a little bit of debate about that. So, wow. um, but let's move on from here. The true faith or the false faith. Via Rod Dreher and Christopher Caldwell, I was recently put on to an article by the French political theorist Chantal Dussol entitled The End of Christianity. I'd want to edit several things in Del Sol's article, but her piece can help American Christians see the inevitability of religion informing society. It all the inevitability of religion, religion informing form. society. Okay. okay. So, and you know, you could use that word religion kind of roughly synonymously with worldview, but I think it's helpful because often secularists will think they're not engaging in religious in religion, belief. But that but they are having these big ideas about the the fundamental nature of reality. Mm. And that's informing how they run society. So highlights the false religion flowering all around us. She writes, quote, at the start of the 21st century, the most established and most promising philosophical current is a form of cosmotheism. Mm. Note, cosmotheism is the attribution of deity to the cosmos itself. And that's that's that point I was making earlier when you attribute the attributes of the deity to the cosmos itself. <clears throat> and you'll see that in people's writings. Like, for instance, I think it was the Gunger book. We talked a little bit about that last okay. year, but he kind of moved into that hmm. where we are all part of God. You know, this is all this. The physical stuff is it's God. Yes. Hmm. And so okay. the, she's talking about this as kind of the new movement, like Cosmo. She's calling it Cosmo. Theism, and this is like something new that's kind of sweeping, um, just you know, sweeping through. Contrary to Christianity, which teaches that God is set apart from the cosmos, Del Sol continues, quote, "Our Western contemporaries no longer believe in a beyond or in a transcendence. The meaning of life must therefore be found in this life itself, and not above it, where there is nothing. The sacred is found here." in the landscapes, in the life of the earth, and in humans themselves. Hmm. Under cosmotheism, man feels at home in the world, which represents the only reality. Under monotheism, man feels a stranger in this imminent world and longs for the other world. For the monotheist, this world is only a temporary lodging. For the cosmotheist, it is a home. The postmodern mind is tired of living in a temporary lodging. It needs a home of its own. One becomes a cosmotheist again because one wants to reintegrate oneself into this world as a full citizen. If you want to grow in your confidence in knowing what you believe and why you believe it, if you want to ground your faith in biblical Christianity and step into who God has called you to be, I want to tell you about a great program put on by Impact 360, and it's called Propel. Propel is a one-week transformational leadership and discipleship experience where high school students gather together to be grounded in a biblical worldview as they learn how to follow Jesus, have a godly influence, learn how to disciple their peers, and boldly live out their faith in their daily lives 
So they're having two sessions this summer. The first one is June 19th through the 25th, and the second one is June 26th through July 2nd. These programs fill up really quickly, and I promise you, you will not be disappointed. So we'll put the link below if you're interested in looking into it, and we'll see you this summer. So they're calling, she's terming the monotheist worldview is one where we're just passing through. Uh-huh. And I think that's a fair assessment if you ask the average evangelical because they will often say that same thing. It's a it's an sure otherworldliness, yeah. right? Yeah. We've taught, we've sung songs like that many times, you know, I'm just a pilgrim passing through. That so So hold that in your mind. And what she's saying is the postmodern mind doesn't want to do like act like this is just temporary this is this is basically all we have so we're going to make you know this this is this is it and how we're going to do it typically is through this utopian vision Ah, of marxism and those those different socialism that kind of idea the globalist um, agenda del sol highlights just how motivated the cosmo theist will be when he exercises his religion down here down here is all that he has He is God, we are God, the earth is God, and we must fervently pursue God's plan. The lie of secularism was that we would all just share the space down here, leaving deity out of it entirely. So did you catch that part? He said the lie of secularism was that we could just share the space down here and leave deity out of it. Ooh, yeah. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. So there were early, like... Even in the early, you know, founding fathers of America, you had some people that were advocating that they were the minority. You know, some a few of the deists we talked about mm-hmm. with uh, Mark David Hall. I think one of them was Ethan Allen. Um, but you know, there were though that that was sweeping through at the time. That was a popular, becoming a more popular view um, with the the deists that basically you you could leave God out of public policy. You could leave him out of state, like how you run the state, mm-hmm. and and that's then that separation of church and state later was redefined to basically keep all religious belief out of the public square, okay. even though that's not anything what the founding fathers meant by it. Um, so I think he's right there that that was actually a myth of secularism that gotcha. even the church adopted oh boy. that we could have this space and leave God out, and of, leave God out of it and agree still have these things that are basically neutral worldviewishly. Mm. Does that make sense? Okay. I think so. Yeah. Um, any thoughts on that so far? Give me an example of that plan out, like a neutral place in the public square. You leave God out like for yeah, instance, yeah. in yeah, the field yeah. of Yeah. So, so how the one way that might be expressed is in the abortion debate. Okay. Um, is like, you know, in Christian theism, one of the fundamental rights of human beings is the right to life because human beings are made in God's image. Right. Yeah. Um, but if you don't have human beings made in God's image in your worldview, then they Mm. have no more right to life than a, you know, a pig or a dog or a bacteria, you know, that you have whatever rights the state bestows upon you. And so in an atheistic regime, you lose, like that's what Martin Luther King Jr. He, 
argued for his civil rights legislation theologically on the basis of the fact that men and women were made in God's image. Mm, so if yeah. you take that out, you really have no basis to do any of those movements. Like you could say, yeah, the founding fathers were inconsistent in not applying that to the slave trade, mm -hmm. but they at least had the right principle. You take away that principle, you have nothing, nothing to argue against slavery on or, or man stealing or whatever yeah. it might be. You have nothing to argue. And really it doesn't end with abortion you have nothing to argue against infanticide. Yeah. And that's why consistent ethicists will even say that, like the, what's the difference between killing a baby in the womb at eight and a half months and one that's been out of the womb for two months or a two year old or whatever it might be. So good. And they try to, they try to come up with, you know, these arbitrary things to, to ground that. But even in that, it'll be like, you know, oh, they have consciousness now or something like that, but they still have no basis yeah. um, for upholding human life. So that would be one, I think, example of it becomes really difficult without Christian theism to ground the, the right to life for human beings. Mm, that's good. Does that make sense? Oh, yeah. Yeah. It, but then you, you questions of justice as well. So that's that's that is the debate, right, between biblical justice and social justice. Social justice looks at the outcomes and says, man, if you can find a difference statistically between these races and the so-called oppressed race is worse off statistically, then you can make laws to even that out. Yeah. No matter what the cause of that was in reality, you don't even have to ask what the cause was. Mm -hmm. You can get rid of the disparities through law. Biblical justice is impartial. So it says, no, you give the same thing, equal weights and measures, yeah. no matter what the person. So that's, For that sure. would be a major difference as well between the Christian theist view of justice and the Marxist view, which is rooted in the atheistic view, which wants to radically get rid of any um, differences in that mm -hmm. sense. The truth is deity can never be left out of it. Devotion to the true God or the false gods will always inform a given civilization. The times, they are a changing because the faith that informs the times is a changing. Ooh. It's changing from the Christian faith to the pagan or cosmotheist faith. So how will Christian communities respond? So this is the wow. question. This is what he's going to answer is like, how, do, how, how then should we live like the Francis, Francis Schaeffer thing, right? So things. where do we go from here? And that's what I've been trying to wrestle with this last year. Like, okay, we can never go back. Like we see the chessboard now, mm -hmm. like there's, there's no turning back. We know, um, we know where we are as a society. We know where many of the people we thought were with us or eh, maybe sure. not quite with us on some of this stuff and others are, but ultimately, like you said, we have to go back to who is God, what has he said and build our lives on that take our take our eyes off the celebrity Christianity, all that kind of stuff, and get back to, man, what has he called us to do right where we are with the sphere that we have say over? Amen. So good, love. So where do we go from here? What are we to do now? I see three different futures coming for Christian communities. My point is not that every Christian community presently fits neatly into one of these categories. You may have traces of all three where you are. Again, we are in a fluid situation. The point is, given the times, Christian communities will increasingly track down one of these lines. So that's a good caveat, right? Yeah. He's saying you may not be exactly in one of these categories, but given time, you're going to increasingly like kind of like a magnet, like it's going to push you toward sure. one of these three. And I think this first one especially is the one that we have been in okay. without even thinking about it for the most part. Like this is the one, at least in the... 
I probably should limit that more, but maybe in the seeker sensitive world, this is like the, the okay. most tempting one and you'll see you why. Okay. Here. Listen. And which way they track matters. These roads are not all created equal. I'm an advocate for the third. And by the way, I'm not married to the names, but I had to call them something separatist pietism. The first option is separatist pietism, and I'm not just talking about Mennonites. This group includes all of those who have succumbed to a strong, sacred, secular divide and then located all of the important things in the sacred sphere. They see the societal chaos and have resolved that it is all outside of their jurisdiction. This world is not their home. These people are in no danger whatsoever of being called a Christian nationalist. They want to keep politics out of the church and the church out of politics. This group fits well with Del Sol's description of the monotheist above. Under monotheism, man feels a stranger in this imminent world and longs for the other world. For the monotheist, this world is only a temporary lodging. This separatist pietism has separated and undone the relationship between the other world and this world, the heavens and the earth, the spiritual and the physical, the kingdom of God and the kingdoms of this world. The world is not a place to be brought into submission to Christ. It is merely temporary lodging. Earthly existence totalizes at getting individuals converted, ensuring they have their ticket to ride to heaven upon death. In their view, the rising civil friction simply hinders the Christian witness aimed at getting individuals justified. So, Ooh, okay. Does that ring, like, have you experienced that? Oh, yeah. I think uh, reading um, the book that made your world by Vishal Magawandi, is that yeah. his name? He talks about that. He says how um, for too many years, I think that the church is focused solely on um, souls. Yeah. And because of that, we've lost nations and industries. And in fact, um, just merely getting them into heaven is 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 the aim, but yet not necessarily taking the kingdom wherever they go, doing medicine according to God, doing education according yeah. to God, just keeping your spirituality private, not even mentioning to anyone you're a Christian and keeping it kind of privatized. Like he's yeah, and that's really interesting. Isn't that good? And I, and I love the way um, he said they see the cultural friction is yeah. something to be avoided at all okay. costs. And that that's why you'll Avoid oftentimes it. you'll see you know, and, and again, this could be well-meaning, yeah, great Christians, Friction. but they'll, they'll say things like, we just want to love. We just want to be in unity. And what they often mean by that is we don't want to stir the pot. We don't want to say anything that's going to offend the unbeliever. Why? Because all that's, none of that stuff is a salvation issue, sure. right? Yeah. That's how, that's how it works theologically, yeah. because what really matters is if I can get them to raise their hand to accept Jesus convert, in yeah. some way at the end of this service. So our services are now going to be geared toward the unbeliever and specifically toward making them feel good mm. so that maybe just maybe. I can move on, you know, they would say it like this, the Holy Spirit through the, the service can move on their heart yeah. and they'll, you know, receive that call at the end. We'll get them plugged into the church and then so, over time yeah. the Holy Spirit will clean them up. I see. Okay. That's kind of the, the, That's the kind of the idea, the right? Um, yeah. unfortunately just statistically that it doesn't end up working out like that. And so you see, you know, when, when they take these tests and they see how many Christians in our churches actually have a biblical worldview and are mm. living that out, it's like, mm. it's dismal. Right. Okay. And so, because it, it, there's, 
the call in the Bible is to teach the whole counsel of God. So you do have to teach, you have to train up and you can't sort of do this bait and switch where it's like, you know, add Jesus is kind of this therapeutic side. Like, like I, I say it sometimes like this, like Adam, like an app on your phone when really it's the whole operating software system. Mm-hmm. When you take on Christ, you're letting go of everything and, and seeing everything through those filters. And so the separatist pietist movement, it makes it makes that hard distinction, like he says, between yeah. sacred and secular. And, you know, piety is not a bad thing, no, right? You're right. In fact, um, I got my book here. My, this is the good old. I don't know if you guys can see this. Um, let's see. Oh, here we go. American uh, Dictionary of the English Language by Noah Webster from 1828. And I like his uh, definition here of um Piety, there it is. he just ta- he says it's basically in principle is a com- compound of veneration, or reverence of the supreme being, and love of his character, or veneration accompanied with love. So it's like this deep reverence accompanied mm-hmm. with an affection yeah. for God, and you develop that inward walk with God. That's a very important part, and central part to Christianity. What's the difference between good piety though and pietism? Okay, I don't know what's. So pietism does that and disregards everything outside of that, at least as he's using the term here. And as most people will use that term nowadays, it's a focus exclusively or almost exclusively, or at least it prioritizes it to such a degree that it says all that stuff. If it means anything, it's usually a distraction from just the inward life, the inner life. And so you see how that sacred secular divide and when you put that and prioritize it like that, how it necessarily leads to the church moving out of the way. Mm. So basically all the other forces can just move right in in and take over. Now, non-Christians love Christian piety, pietism. Let me, so and you can see why, right? Like, you know, Hillary Clinton, Obama, like the, the status globalist folks, they are very happy for us to worship and to believe in God and keep keep it it to ourselves. Keep it to ourselves. Um, what they cannot allow for is for you to let go of pietism and apply all of Christ, to all of life. That's what Mm -hmm. they will not and cannot. And that's what they never will stand for. And in fact, we're going to talk more about pietism, um, in one of the upcoming episodes, but it's an interesting quote about how Hitler was like you, he told the church, you take care of people's souls. I'll take care of Germany. And that Lutheran German pietism that became so popular removed the effect of the church when they should have been the resistance. Mm, And it's somebody said they just sung, they sang louder as the trains went by. Oh gosh. Carrying the Jews to their death. And so, you know, that, 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 that isn't a biblical argument against pietism. We'll get to that, but I just want to, I'm just sharing yeah. like the, the, these are the practical things the surrounding the outworkings of that idea. Which is the only goal Christians have defensive evangelicalism. A second trajectory is defensive evangelicalism. These folks emphasize the gospel with a particular focus on conversion and justification okay. to which all Christians everywhere render a hearty amen. 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 This second group shares a sacred secular divide with separatist pietism. But unlike the separatist pietists, they care about what happens in the secular space. They understand that they still have to live down here. Particularly, they have had it with the woke nonsense. They are fed up with social justice. They don't fully grasp the Lord's prayer when it says the kingdom of God is to come on earth as it is in heaven. 
but they sure do want decent neighbors. The difficulty these Christian communities will face arises from their bisected worldview. The way they have divided the sacred and the secular leaves them often operating in a secular way when in secular space. They have to leave off heaven to engage on earth, and they leave off earth when engaging in heaven. Their temptations will be to pragmatism, selfishness, worry, and sinful anger. They are heavy on individualism and downplay or disregard altogether the implications of God's salvation for society. They grasp Christ's lordship over individual Christians and the church, but they do not uphold his lordship over all things. These communities will see the problems, but they will miss the cause of the problems, the whole picture, and a robust solution. So does that make sense so far what he's saying, how he's describing this second group, which he calls defensive evangelicals? Okay, yeah. They're they're, they love Jesus yeah. and they have an intimate relationship with him. They're, it's piety. Yeah, they but have yet, good piety. Good piety. Good emphasis on salvation, justification, all those things. But items. when in the public square, they keep it to themselves. They don't. Well, right? it, so it's kind of like that. Okay. It's a little bit different in this in respect. What so what he's saying is because they have the sacred secular divide still that he would say is unbiblical. Mm-hmm that when they go into secular spaces, they operate on secular principles. What that, let yeah, me give you an example like, yeah. of that. So it would be like, it would be like a, a good Christian who teaches in the public school system. Mm-hmm. And when they go in the public school system, they put their public school teacher hat on and they teach the same things like uh. naturalistic evolution. And they might whisper on the side like, hey, I don't really believe in that. And I can tell you about okay. it after school. But they pretty much teach all the secular ways when they're in the secular space because they have to take off their Christian hat versus the person who is going to hold to his third category, which he adheres to, okay, which to is that. to say, like, let's get rid of the public school because they're godless and they're teaching godless ideology Ooh. and let's do classical education and stuff like that. So that's those are radically different spaces. One more example, like in the political realm, I think the third group that he would represent would go into an abortion meeting and they would say, Christ is the king over creation mm. and Christ gives life to human beings. And they would argue theologically in a secular space against abortion, not Ooh. just philosophically. Whereas a person in the defensive evangelical space, I think would say, well, when I go into a secular space, I'm okay. not going to use religious I arguments see. because they don't accept that. That that's probably overly simplistic, but that kind of highlights the different the strategies. Okay. Now I think he would say, and I would definitely say, the defensive evangelical strategy is way better than separatist pietism. Okay. And I don't even know which one for sure I'll land on yet. I don't think he means defensive evangelicalism from the, from the perspective that they're defensive in Right, spirit. that's how I heard it at first. He means like they, they're defending the ground of like, so they don't want the, they don't oh, want the bad the, stuff to the, take over completely because we still have to okay. live here on earth. So we still want good neighbors. We still want to uphold I see. individual rights, the constitution, things like that, because those are good principles principles and typically they'll root them in natural law rather than the Bible. If that makes sense when they're in the secular space. Mm. Um, I think that Wayne Grudem would be kind of in that, in that realm. Um, trying to think of others. Now there's probably more of the evangelicals are in that space where maybe the religious right, um, even, uh, Jerry Falwell senior, I think would have been kind of adherent of that like let's take on the abortion thing let's do that and let's do the yeah. best way we can in in the yeah. secular like using their principles in those spaces and i get where he's coming from because 
you know, there, there is something to that. Um, but what he's pointing out is at best, what that's going to do is only keep the kind of the barbarians from completely taking over, but they're still going to make a lot of headway. And he talked about the temptations that they're going to have to be angry and bitter. And and that is a real temptation, right? In this Mm -hmm. space, because you don't really have a positive view of like, how was, how are we supposed to be salt and light and taking, um, taking more ground rather than just like holding on to the good things that were laid out in the constitution. It's a good debate. It's a good debate. It's getting harder too, for sure too. Yeah. In these times we're living in, I mean, for the first time I've seen, I'm seeing the, the title Christian be seen in such a negative light in public square. So it's like standing your ground today. And I'm sure people say that in all generations, but standing your ground today seems harder than it's been in the past yeah, man. Generation, especially so, on those issues, right? When I look out in social media or the news, it's like, ugh. Oh yeah, man. If, When you find out someone's a Christian, you're like, oh, they are Christian, and they're in Hollywood. <laughs> they're they're your new hero. You know, you put them right. on hero status. But, but that's interesting. Defensive evangelicalism. Yeah, and, and, and I, I should make one caveat. I th- maybe Jerry Falwell Senior would be kind of a hybrid because he did want to see like Christians. Um, become congressmen and you know and oh yeah presidents you know he he wanted a little bit more on on the offensive end so it's hard always to map people exactly but hopefully that makes some sense like the defensive side is just saying no we we we're not necessarily trying to to create a christian theocracy yeah we just want a democratic republic based on natural law rooted in english common law and that's pretty much it just leave us alone and let us do our Mm -hmm. christian thing and keep decent laws in the land does that kind of make sense reform kyperianism here's the third one the final approach is well positioned to advance amid these changing times in large part because of a healthy sense of the relationship between heaven and earth this earth is not merely temporary lodging the error of separatist pietism. Neither is this earth our only home, the error of cosmotheism, and the error that defensive evangelicalism is tempted toward. Rather, the earth is the place of Christ's dominion as the second Adam who has come. Heaven has been opened and the angels ascend and descend upon the Son of Man, John chapter 1, verse 51. The kingdom of heaven is at hand, and the kingdoms of this world are become the kingdoms of our Lord Mm. and of his Christ, Revelation chapter 11, verse 15. A reformed Kyperian community understands that the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. The world we inhabit already belongs to Christ, and he will continue to advance his rule on earth unto his return. This confidence diffuses the shrill anxiety of defensive evangelicalism and gives earthly expression to the heavenly orientation of pietism. These communities will be marked by corporate worship, dominion, joy, entrepreneurship, education, and appreciation for the visible and universal church and assurance that the nations are Christ's possession. It's time to swim. The times are such that loads of Christians are considering where to plant their flag. Where to- so before we go into that, does that third view oh, yeah. kind of make sense? So I'm, I, that's the journey I've been on in okay. the past year is yeah. like, I'm trying to find out, okay, is this reformed Kuyperian, is Abraham Kuyper, it's named after him, who okay. was the guy who, I, I always get the quote a little bit off, but it's something like, there's no square inch of all reality over which Christ does not say mine. Mm. Um, mm-hmm. And it's it really is this idea of like, man, Christ, uh, what I love about it, it's, it's such a good worldview view. And it says all of life was created 
you know, by God through the Logos, through Christ. And he is redeeming the, the, the span of redemption is as broad as the span of the fall. Mm, and cool. there's a lot of things about it that I find that are very helpful and very biblical. I don't know for sure yet if I fully, fully on the, the, the reformed Kuyperian train, but I, I do see, um, a lot of value to it. And that's what we're going to be exploring probably over the next, this next season. And it's interesting. He uses the kingdoms of this world has become yeah. the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ now. Is yes. that how he is interpreting or reading so it? So yeah. typically the, the Kuyperian guys are post-millennialists. Okay. So what I won't go into all yeah, the differences right, right now, but, okay. but in essence, it's more of a positive eschatology in the sense, or more of an optimistic eschatology. So they view that actually, like in some sense, that Christ will win mm-hmm. um, the kingdoms of this world. The, the, the nations will be discipled and then Jesus comes back and defeats death as the final enemy that he is putting all this. So they, they might even see that we're, some of them would say we might even be in the early church still on that mm, spectrum. It's so, so it's cool. a different point of view. I don't think you have to be a post-millennialist to be a reformed Kuyperian, but it does tend to fit better. I think, I see. um, for a lot of reasons that we'll get into, but, um, yeah, he, he would say, again, it's not a, because there's a, there's a bad, there's kind of like a, people talk about dominionism and this kind of thing. That's not, that doesn't map exactly on to what these guys adhere to. It's not that we just go over, you know, take in, take over sure. these okay. spheres I mean, with guns yeah. blazing. It's through the, through the preach word and it's a bottom up movement. Like Martin Luther King did when he was preaching, okay, based on these truths, this is what we know to be true based on that. Stand on your promises, your word that you promised that every individual be, would be treated. Yeah. So in that sense, they yeah. would apply the law of God. They okay. tend to be the, theonomous. Uh, there's a, theonomous. That's a whole other thing. But they they would really look to the Old Testament laws as okay. good laws for as principles laws. to apply. Even okay. in, and but the difference like would be, I think, Douglas Wilson, for instance, would say one of the problems in the Constitution was they should have put this nation under Christ. Mm, wow. Um, yeah. Okay. Explicitly. And so he would also argue, like, don't say we hold these truths to be self-evident. Say we hold these truths to be revealed by God, that all men are created equal or sacred like they originally wrote. And so that's really good. The idea in that that's that's the shift. Like they actually think that we we will have success in discipling the nations. Okay, not the not just this is kind of a funny retelling, but he describes the premillennialist view where everything gets bad and bad, worse and worse and worse as the view where you helicopter into the Vietnam war, you got yourself in a land war that you couldn't win. So you had to helicopter and Huey helicopter as many people out of it as you could. And that's, that's how he describes sometimes the premillennialist view where we're just trying to rescue as many souls as we can from a a bad project that God couldn't win. Anyways, whole nother thing. But I think the important point is we do need to, whatever view you come to, you do need to wrestle with the fact that in the parables, like there is supposed to be actual kingdom progress in many ways. And it's not just limited to getting to souls into heaven. Mm. It's also meant to be applied, meant to be salt and light. At the very least, I think we should be defensive evangelicals where we see that the, that God's law and God's ways should be brought to bear in the earth as it is in heaven insofar as we have say, um, and that's what we should bring to our city. Mm -hmm. That's what we should bring to righteous laws, righteous Mm. justice in our streets, in our city where truth, um, how we educate the next generation. We don't Mm. just hand Mm. it over to the Romans as they sometimes say, or hand it over to the secularists. And I think we could do, even if you don't land on that third view, we could stand to learn a lot 
from those guys and applying all of Christ's ways to all of life. So let's finish up here with the last little bit. Raise kids and grandkids. They're determining how to develop Christian community, be it the one they are in or one they might head to. There's a lot to consider when making these decisions. There's a lot of theology and worldview at play. Several hard things must be done as you weigh the costs of embedding your family into a Christian community that can navigate what Del Sol and others have coined the very end of Christendom. You need not fear. As Chesterton said, quote, Christendom has had a series of revolutions, and in each one of them, Christianity has died. Christianity has died many times and risen again, for it had a God who knew the way out of the grave. I love that, somebody. Right? I love that, too. Isn't that that's good? really cool. Yeah, and I think we can, like, with all this craziness, that, that's meant to be the, the upshot of this first episode is like, man, no matter what, God is on his throne. Yes, he is. N- if you're a pan-millennialist, like I always joke, in the end, all things will pan out. But we know, <laughs> we know Christ wins, like yes. at the end of the day. And like Chesterton said here, he shall reign. died many times and, and it will rise again. And even if America dies, you know, we don't want to sit around and let it happen. Sure. That's not our calling. Mm-mm. Do everything we can to to bless the city we're in, right? To bless yeah. the nation we're in. And and pray that God saves what was what is an amazing gift um, to the world. But... Um, you know, somebody said this earlier, if he, if he uses this nation to be the fertilizer for his next move in the earth, that's, that's his prerogative as well. And we can take peace and knowing that, um, man, he is the God of resurrections and as bad as things get, he's on the move and he's working. The kingdom of God is advancing. So you need not fear, but you do need to understand the significance of the present moment and choose your Christian community wisely. Every moment in the game matters, but not every moment is the fourth quarter. Not every moment is bottom of the ninth, two outs, bases loaded. But take a look around. Here we are. And as you walk up to the plate, they're playing Dylan over the loudspeaker. (laughs) Come gather around people wherever you roam and admit that the waters around you have grown and accept it that soon you'll be drenched to the bone. If your time to you is worth saving, then you better start swimming or you'll sink like a stone. For the times, they are a-changing. Good. That good. That's real good. Don't fear. Mm-hmm. Choose your community wisely in these times. I think that's huge. That's it. And I think, you that's know, really good. to go back to our original point, we're not trying to throw people overboard, but there is a time when you say, man, we, we, you do need to surround yourself. You need to be thoughtful in who you surround yourself with and who you put yourself under the leadership of um, in this next season. And you maybe need to wrestle through these issues a little bit and and ask, you know, prayerfully consider as you read through the scripture and read through church history and and others and, and listen to this podcast as we go in the future and try to expose you guys to some of the stuff that I've been wrestling with for the last few years, um, asking God, like, where where do we put our flag next? What do we do next? Which, which I was going to say, too, if you're in a season where it's, it feels like a desert and you can't find Christian community, God might be calling you to start that Christian mm. community. You yourself can go deep and just start developing a Christian lens, a Christian worldview, and you might be the light where you are. And so uh, it's it's that interesting of times that... Um, you look around, you don't see a lot of light depending, but then God is always there. God mm. is always, he's promised to never leave or forsake his children. So you and him alone uh, is more than you in the world without him. So I think it's uh, that's a good encouragement. Don't fear. Yeah. Pick your friends wisely, Christian community, go deeper. 
wrestle this this particular theology down to the ground between these three views you know you know if you come to the point where you feel like man pietism is the biblical view god bless you i I don't think it is (laughs) um but if it is it is but i don't think it is and and i think we're going to try to show you guys that at the very least we need to be involved in the activities of the city from a biblical perspective we need to learn to take all of life all of christ and apply it to all of life and everything we do everything we do and that's 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 our hope for this season so we'll see you next time peace out everybody